1987, I was a pilot in the Marine Corps stationed in Yuma, Arizona. I had recently been transferred out there. I was there for about two months on a cross-country flight, not making the best choices in my life, and God brought a two or five-pound buzzard through the windshield of my plane, which got my attention. Not long after that, as I was rehabbing, it was about Christmas time, my youngest son, or my oldest son, Russ, was uh, about eight weeks old. Lori and I were out shopping one, one weekend. We were going into a store. As we walked in to the, the front of the store, there was a guy who was in a wheelchair, had no legs, dressed very shabbily, like a homeless person. But there was something different about this guy. So we, we passed him and we looked at him and he looked at us as if to say something, but he didn't say anything. We go into the store. We were in there for quite a while. I think it was a Walmart, maybe, or some kind of store like a Walmart. We come out. We see that guy. He's not in the same place. He's, he's a little further over, but we saw him. And he kind of beckoned to us. And we were, and we were like... We're like, okay, let's go over there. We didn't have any cash, um, but we walked over there to him. And as we got close to him, we asked him his name, said his name was Chuck. And then he made a strange request. He said, Lori's holding um, Russ, who's eight weeks old. He said, can I hold your baby? She looked at me, and uh, I looked at her, and I just kind of did my shoulders and like, yeah, why don't you let him hold the baby? Chuck gently took Russ in his arms, and as he took him, he started tearing up. And then he did this amazing thing. He just put his hand on his head and started praying for him, that he would be a man who loves God. That he would, he would be a man who lived for God. And just prayed this beautiful prayer for my son. And Lori and I are just looking at each other. We're tearing up. We're just watching this happen. And then he gives him back and says, thank you. We get Russ back. And we're, we're looking at each other, and we're like, we don't have any cash, but we'd like to help you. Would you, could we get some blankets for you? Could we get some food for you, anything? And he goes, no, I'm okay. That's all he said, I'm okay. But we got in our car, we went um, to the bank to get some money to then go buy some stuff for him. And we bought stuff and we came back and he wasn't there. So we went to the homeless shelter. We went to another homeless shelter. We went to another homeless shelter. We went back in front of the store. We said, have you seen this guy, Chuck, in a wheelchair? I'm like, no. I mean, there was a guy sitting out front here. We, we were just here this morning and he was here. No. We talked to three or four employees. They, they didn't see him. They didn't know who he was. None of the homeless people knew who he was. And that's a guy in a wheelchair with no legs. 
in Yuma, Arizona, Yuma is not a big place. It's a very small city, just a military base there. And Lori and I left there, and we go, we couldn't find him. We drove all over looking for that guy the rest of the day. Couldn't find him. We're convinced it could have been an angel. Could have been. Don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say that it was, but Hebrews says that beware lest you entertain angels unaware. Sometimes angels take human form. But I have a question for you this morning. Or this afternoon, actually. This afternoon. And here's the question. Other than when you see the word angel in the Bible, how often do you think about angels? I want you to think about that for a second because it's really important for us to understand the context of Hebrews 1, 4-14. Because for the Jewish person, an angel was an, a divine being. They were powerful. They had been part of the unfolding story of Israel almost from the beginning. In fact, they were in the beginning because if you remember, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, what guarded the garden from them getting back in? Angels. Angels in the Bible were seen as terrifying that's why they said, don't fear. That's why when people said they, they've seen an angel all in white, and you're like, well, what do you do? Oh, I was just sitting there talking to him. I'm like, probably didn't see a real angel then. Because you probably would have been on your face in fear. Unless they were disguised as a human, maybe. But why is it that we don't think about angels? Is it because we're too sophisticated? Is it because we just don't think they do stuff today like they did back then? There's been two or three times in my life that bird strike being one of them where I'm convinced God intervened in some miraculous way to save my life. I know of missionary stories where they were in the middle of nowhere surrounded by gorillas who wanted to kill them, not like animal gorillas, but military gorillas who wanted to kill them. And they yet they couldn't kill them because of the force of men that were protecting them, but there were no men there. But the enemy saw them. The, yeah, the people that needed to see them saw them. And they were protected. True stories. But why is it we don't think about angels? Angels are mentioned over 260 times in the Bible. They are part of the story from beginning to end, even in Revelation. Genesis, they're mentioned. Revelation, they're mentioned and all in between. And yet, we don't think about them. Why? I think, I think we miss out because sometimes we say, well, that was then, but today's different. Maybe we're too sophisticated. Which is funny because we believe this little phone, we look at it, and it transmits ones and zeros up in the air somewhere and then bounces that across towers to other parts of the world and they can see exactly what's transpiring. Every color vividly portrayed in every action 
vividly portrayed, but yet we struggle to believe that an angel can wipe out 185,000 men, one angel. We struggle to believe that an angel can come in and could do something miraculous today. Yet we believe more in Steve Jobs' creation than God's creation. Why is that? I think because one, we're not people of the book like we should be. We're not people of the book like we should be. Hebrews, remember last week, was written to three people groups. First people group, Jewish believers who were struggling in their faith. They were conflating Jewish ritual with the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Hebrews is addressing that by saying, and here's the overarching theme of Hebrews, Christ is supreme to everything. The second group of people were people who had intellectually bought in to the fact that Jesus was Messiah, but they weren't all in. They didn't, it didn't have any impact on their life because their heart was not bought into it. Because it's like my wife tells me all along, I mean, she's done this for 30-something years, Doug, you do what you want to do. If you really believe in something, you're going to do it. It's true. Whatever you believe in, that's what you're going to do. And, and so this second group didn't really buy in with their heart. They had only bought in intellectually. And the third group hadn't even bought in intellectually. They're still trying to figure out, well, I'm not sure. But the primary group is this Jewish believers. Why is that significant? Well, as he's writing to this Jewish, these Jewish believers, it's important to understand when he deviates from them and he starts warning groups two or group three. Because if you don't, you get confused. And we talked about that last week. But this week, we're looking at the angels because this is the first group he brings out that Christ is superior to. Why is that important? Again, for you and me, we think about angels and we can, they're a passing thought, even at that. But for the Jewish person, when you talked about an angel, they go, whoa. It was, it was a, a big deal. Angels were huge to them. In their, in their history, all the things that God had done using angels, it would, have, it would have been huge for them to say, Jesus is over them. Why? Because Jesus was a human. And they were still trying to grasp the Jesus-God component. So for them, thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, yeah, He's a sacrifice, but angels, whoa, they're big. And so what the writer to Hebrews does is he comes in and he says, I'm going to give you seven Old Testament passages that bring out, I'm, I'm going to say four, some people bring it out to five, but I'm going to say four characteristics of Jesus contrasted with angels that show that He's supreme in verses 4 through 14. Because here's the thing, if you don't understand Jesus you can't really understand the Old Testament. That's why today there is a very, very, very small group of Jewish people called Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox who are still trying somehow to make the Old Testament work. The others have figured out the Reform or Conservative. The Conservative aren't really Conservative. That's just what they're called. But they're a very liberal uh, group of Jew Jewish people. 
But the reform and the conservative, they, they've realized they can't make the Old Testament work. They can't sacrifice. <laughs> they don't sacrifice goats. They don't sacrifice lambs. They don't bring turtle doves in there to sacrifice. They don't do that. And so if they can't do that, how do they make what God said in the Old Testament for them to work? Because they're still supposed to be under the Old Covenant if Messiah hadn't come. But this ultra-Orthodox group is trying. They try really hard to do it. But Jesus is the one that makes the Old Testament understandable. Because remember, the Old Covenant is a promise looking forward to Jesus. That's why, you remember on the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking with the two men? It says, where did He start with them? He was talking to them, and they go, hey, don't you realize what's happened today? And He goes, let me tell you a story. And He goes back to Moses and the prophets. And He explains who He is from their writings. That's why I get so frustrated when people want to hand out a New Testament to somebody without an Old Testament. Because to really understand the New, you need to understand the Old. But you can't understand the Old without the New. Because Jesus explains. The writers in the New Testament show this is an unfolding story that started back thousands of years ago. And so, this... This story unfolds, and when it gets to the Hebrew people who were around Italy around 65 A.D., they're struggling. So the writer says, okay, Christ is supreme to angels. So let's look at what he says. We're going to go back to verse 4 from last week and read all the way to 14. Then we're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to kind of unpack this just a little bit. Starting in verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteous uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? May God bless His Word. Over 260 times, Old Testament and New Testament, angels are mentioned. Think back, Abraham. Abraham encounters angels. And when he encounters them, they are in a form of a human. Think about Lot. 
They go to Lot to rescue Lot. They take him out of the city. He's dragging his feet. They end up taking him by the hand and dragging him. And they say, don't look back. And what does his wife do? She looks back. But they destroyed that city. Jacob sees angels going up and down a ladder in a vision. Balaam, what about Balaam on the donkey? His donkey's doing something he's never done. And Balaam's beating the donkey and, and God says, okay, I'm going to show him this angel so he doesn't kill his donkey. And he reveals an angel there with a sword ready to take his life. And the donkey speaks to him and re- kind of rebukes him for what he's doing. But there was an angel there. Elijah running from Jezebel under a broom tree like you saw Lori under a broom tree. He's under a broom tree and an angel shows up to him. Elisha and his servant... They're surrounded. Elisha's servant is freaking out. He's just really uptight, upset, which he would be because there's the Assyrian army out there. I think they're Assyrian. Maybe they were. Um, yeah, they're out there. Yeah, they're all surrounded. And he goes, Lord, would you show him what I see? And all of a sudden he looks because he tells him there's more of us than of them. How many of angels does it take to be more of them than more of humans? One angel killed 185,000 humans. That's over in 2 Kings 19. Now I want you to just think about that for a second. One angel wiped out 185,000 men that were not just men, warriors. Like that. 2 Kings verse 19. The word angel means, Hebrew is malak, M-A-L-A-K. And in Greek it's angelos, A-N-G-E-L-O-S. But it means messenger. God's messenger. That's what it means. In the New Testament, you see them, the shepherds are out in the field and what they do? They appeared to them and they gave them a message. They came to Mary, gave her a message. Came to Zechariah, gave him a message. When they went to the tomb, they were sitting on there and they gave them a message. They're messengers sent from God. Four specific functions. By the way, Brad, yesterday we were talking about it and you're right. One of their primary functions is to glorify and praise God. To continually worship and praise God. And I'm just going to give you some verses that you can go look at. We're not going to read them. Job 38, 7. Psalm 103.20. We are going to read this one. Isaiah 6. I want to read Isaiah 6 real quick. What was Psalm? I'm sorry. Psalm 103.20. Isaiah 6. You, this, some of you may know this passage. Um, Isaiah 6. I want you to imagine for a second, we had one administration that was a good president a good leader who ruled for 50 years. I want you to imagine how stable our country would be. A good character, good leader who led us faithfully for 50 years he was in power. What would happen when that president died? When he died, we would be in mourning. We would be wondering what's going to happen. And that's what happened in Isaiah chapter 6. 
It was in the year that King Uzziah died. He ruled 52 years. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. This is angels. It's another word for angels. Each had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Why do you think they covered their face? God is so right. You guys ever done the sun stare? You ever looked up when you were a kid? Remember that? I can look for 10 seconds. You bet each other how long you could stare into it. You're squinting. You've got to open your eyes. You can't because it like makes you your eyes water when it's really bright. It's like what it's like to look into the glory of God. That's why God says no man can look upon Him. No man can do it. Another one is Revelation 4, 8, then Revelation 5, 9 through 12. The angels praise Him. They glorify Him. That's one function. Another function is they communicate God's message to man. Do you know that the angels brought the law to Moses on Mount Sinai? How many of you guys knew that? The angels brought the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. We have this picture, thanks to Cecil B. DeMille's, that God just spoke it and... But if you go to Acts chapter 7, verse 38 and 53, it says, Luke is writing that the angels brought the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Why? Because they're his messengers. And so they brought the law. They communicate God's message to us. They reveal the future to Daniel and to the Apostle John in Revelation. Gabriel told John the Baptist's parents he was going to be born and Mary that she was going to have a child. So... The second function is they communicate. The third is they minister to believers. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. In Acts, we see that they deliver people from prison. How do you think those shackles came off of Peter when he was in prison? An angel did it. Angels, they minister to believers. Do you know Luke 15 says that angels rejoice when a sinner repents? Paul says in Corinthians that they watch the life, the lives of believers. So they minister to believers. And fourth, they're God's agents in the final judgment. They are His judgment angels. They're going to blow a trumpet, it says. When the trumpet sounds, they're going to be the one blowing the trumpet. They will separate wheat from chaff, according to Matthew 13. They'll open the seals. They blow the trumpets. They pour out the bowls of wrath. They are active agents in God's judgment upon this earth. They will execute judgment against Satan and his servants. So that's their functions. 
Do you think angels are an important part of the Bible story, guys? Let me ask you guys, before today, how many of you didn't know that one angel wiped out 185,000 men? Look at this. Why? Why do we not talk about this? Can, can you imagine the, the comfort of knowing that there are ministering agents who are with us at God's beck and call? That is encouraging to me. Amen. I mean, so if you get a diagnosis, Gil, all God has to do is, okay, I want you to take this down there to help Gil out. If he wants to. Doesn't mean he's going to. I'm sure there were many times that Israelite people were slaughtered by their enemies. A lot of times, a lot of times they, they went up against odds and man, they're going, why? Why? I was talking to a girl yesterday who was sharing with me about praying for somebody and God took him quick. Didn't give them time that they wanted. She's like, I, I don't understand God sometimes. I said, welcome to the club. I mean, none of us do. We don't. His ways are not our ways. But who's in charge? He is. And so these angels are at His beck and call. That's encouraging to me. So what is this writer trying to say to us about Christ being supreme to the angels if, if that's what... He's trying to do here now that we know about angels. Well, let's look at verse 4 and 5. I see four ways here that Jesus is supreme that He's bringing out. First, in verse 4, He says, Having become superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what the writer's saying is, His name is greater than their name. Now, our names don't mean a whole lot to us. I mean, they do in the sense, well, we want people to know what our name is. But for a Jew, when they called somebody by their name, a lot of times it was associated with their character, i.e. Jacob was a trickster, right? Isaac meant laughter. There, the name had meaning. When Jesus said, from now on you're going to be called Peter, you're going to be a rock that I build on, Peter. You're going to be a stone for the world to build a foundation on. And that's what he meant. Well, with Jesus, that the identity is tied up in the name, the essence, the character. And so what he's saying here in verse 4 and 5 is that nobody have I called a son except this guy. Jesus I call son. I never called an angel son. As powerful as they are, they're not my sons. He's my son. They're sons in a generic sense, but this one I've begotten. This one is my son. And so what he's saying there, and he's quoting, by the way, from Psalm chapter 2. I don't know if you have little indents in your Bibles where it gives the passages in the Old Testament associated, but it should say, if it does, citing Psalm 2.7, because that's where he's quoting from. That psalm is a messianic psalm that basically starts off by there's kings who think they're somebody. And they're bringing derision. They're trying to act like they have control. I laugh at them, is what the psalm says. My son will rule. 
with an iron scepter. And he's quoting from that. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That's from Psalm 2. And what he's saying is, I only have one son. And his name is Jesus. The name Jesus is Yeshua. You know what that means? Yeah, it means salvation or healer. Salvation. That's what it means. Their name means messenger. He had one son and his name was Jesus. And he's saying, listen, don't think because he was a human at one time that he wasn't fully God in character and essence. He's still supreme even though he was human. And so then he quotes another passage. He says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. In verse 5. That's from 2 Samuel 7.14. You know what that is? That's God speaking to David that he's going to have a greater son than him. And David was the greatest king in Israel history. So his identity and his name is one way they supreme. Second, in verse 6, he says, let all God's angels worship Him. It's position. So identity, name, and then the second way he's supreme is position. He's positionally over the angels. You know why? Because he says the angels are worshiping Him. What's greater, the worshiper or the worshipped? The worshipped. And so he's making this argument and he quotes from Psalm 97.7 which is really drawing from Deuteronomy 32.43 that, that the angels are worshiping Him. And who do the angels worship? There's only... See, listen. Are we lower or higher than angels as humans? We're a little lower. Lower, right? Yes. We're lower. So, right above us is angels. Who's above angels? There's only one. This is a statement of deity of Jesus Christ here. That if they're worshiping Jesus, then He's got to be God. And so, the angels are a powerful force. Would you agree with that? Jesus is the ruler of the powerful force. He says in verse 6, And again, when He brings first the firstborn, that word there doesn't mean like my oldest son, Russ, chronologically. That word there is the word protokos, which means preeminent or premier. The chief. It's like, you know, the the best or the strongest. And that's what it's talking about. Not the firstborn. He's saying this is the preeminent one. He's premier. He is the ruler. He's the worshipped. Then in verse 7, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So, and then he goes on to talk about Jesus saying, but of the Son, he says, your throne is forever and ever. So here he's talking about nature. So we got identity and name. Then we've got position. And now we've got nature. And there's two things about His nature that I think He brings out here. One is it's authoritative. And two, it's eternal. 
authoritative in, in that He makes His angels winds. And His ministers a flame of fire. Who makes the angels winds? Who makes the angels a flame of fire? Who created the angels? God. Who is Jesus? God. So who created the angels? Jesus. He's the author and creator of all things. All things are held together through Him. Remember we talked about that last week. And so, if Jesus is the creator, which is greater, created or created? The creator. So He's making this argument. Say what, Dave? Is this multiple choice? Yeah, no, this is A or B. Alright? Creator or created. Of course, the creator is greater. Now, you got to understand, guys. See, for you and me, we're going, okay, we get this. But for the listeners, the people who this was written to, they worshiped angels. Angels were divine beings to them. They thought angels were unbelievable. And Jesus was a human. Yes, he did good things for God. Yes, he died on the cross. But an angel? See, for us, we don't get that very much. Because like I said, that's why I asked the question earlier. Our view of angels is, oh well, yeah, they, they exist. I believe they're there, but they're not a part of our life. We don't even talk about them that much. Why? <laughs> why? They've been part of God's plan from the beginning. Yes? Fear. Well, yeah, fear is a part of it, I believe. I think... People might think we're wacko. People might think we're crazy because we're sophisticated. I think most of the people in the American church, I'll just say that group, doesn't talk about it because we're not taught about it. I, I haven't, I've heard maybe a handful, maybe in my whole life, and usually the only times at Christmas. I'm serious. Listen, this is encouraging, guys. Uh, it's encouraging to these believers. It should be encouraging to us. Because the Creator, He quotes Psalm 45, 6 and 7 here. And then He quotes Psalm uh, 102 when He's talking about the eternal nature of God. Jesus rules with a scepter of righteousness. He loves righteousness and He hates wickedness. And He's making an argument here that that makes Him superior to the angels because can you say about all the angels that they hate wickedness? No. Because a third of them left. A third of them went with Satan in the rebellion. So angels can be demonic or they can serve the Almighty God. And so He's making an argument here. Listen, I know angels are important and they're powerful. But Jesus created him. He's eternal. And he has an eternal nature. He never was created. But angels are created. That's his argument. And 1 John 1.5 says, In him there is light and there is no darkness. That's why he's bringing out this hating. Jesus not only obeyed in righteousness, he loved righteousness. That's hard to say for you and me. We'll obey sometimes. Do we, do we really have joy? Jesus took joy in righteousness. He hated unrighteousness. And then the fourth area where He's better than angels is sovereignty. Verses 13 and 14. And to which of the angels has He ever said, 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. He is a sovereign ruler. The angels are not rulers. Do you understand that? They have no ruling capability at all. They are merely servants. So you have a sovereign ruler versus messengers and servants. So who's superior? Christ or angels? He is. And again, he quotes Psalm 110.1 there. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. And then he says... Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? For who? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Who is that? That's us. So angels serve God, but who else do they serve? For you and me. Amos. Angels serve you. Gil, they serve you. Jerry, they serve you. They serve us, guys. That should encourage you. We have angelic beings that exist. Their sole purpose is to serve us and to serve the Almighty God and to praise Him. But they, they serve us. They, they sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. You know what that's saying? Christ rules over us. And He's assigned His angels to minister to you. If He wants, He can deliver you from anything, anytime, anywhere. Who knows how many times He's done it? Yeah. Christ is superior to everything, guys. He's adequate for everything we need. But we got to believe it. we got to trust Him with all that we have and that all that we are. The question is, do we trust Him? Or do we keep trying to interject? Do we keep trying to fix it? Listen, he is not... He, this is so encouraging that at any time, this is why if you've got somebody that wants to hurt you, you don't have to fear. You call out to him. Do you think David, when he walked out in that field against Goliath, goes, okay, I'm fixing to take you down. He went out and said, God's going to take you down. Amen. The problem is we look to ourselves more than we look to God. These angels are His messengers sent to serve. That's why Christ is supreme. So, does that make sense? Let's uh, go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Close our time.